know each other no matter what their age. Two, what things make you know that older people in church care about you? Three, what things make older people in church know that you care about them? And four, what can you do today to encourage someone else in church? 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is the Word of God. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry." and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relations who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. There ends a reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord, we do praise you for your word. We thank you for every part of it. We praise you for the salvation that is revealed to us. We thank you for the fact that you've revealed to us the way that we're to live our lives in your presence and before others. And we thank you for the instructions that you've given to your church. And we ask that you would help us as a church, as we have read your word and as we'll hear your word preached, to examine ourselves as the body of Christ. That's what we are. And consider very carefully the way that we interact with one another, the way that we care for one another, We ask that you administer to us through this word, and so we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in a special way through the preaching of the sermon and through the way we all receive it. Please help us, we ask, as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this letter is filled with instructions to Timothy on how to oversee the church there in Ephesus. Uh, He's in a key position, and so he in particular will need to know how to interact 
in the right way how to minister to the variety of people that make up the church. It's certainly important for Timothy to understand that. It was important for all the leaders in the church to understand that. It's true for the church today, but it's not only true for pastor types and elder types and deacon types. It's These things are true for all the people in the body of Christ, in the community of Christ. And I think that's a very important thing that we remember, we remember who we are. As a church, as this local body, we are a community, a community of Christ. And that means that we've been saved by and large by the blood of Christ. We're brought together in this covenant community and that we're always mindful of the presence that we are here to serve and honor Christ, to minister to one another as his people, and to be an example to the world around us. We are a community of Christ, and we're always to do all that we do as individuals and as a church in the name of Christ. Paul, in this passage, and this isn't the only place, refers to the church as a family. That's easy for us to forget. Sometimes we think of ourselves just getting together as this corporate gathering on the Lord's Day, but after that, we don't think of ourselves as a family. That's not the way that Scripture looks at the church. It's certainly not the way that Paul looks at it. In fact, when we look at the different people Paul is telling Timothy to minister to, he uses family language. You're dealing with men. Look at them as fathers. You're dealing with with younger men. Deal with them as brothers. With women, deal with them as mothers. With younger women, deal with them as sisters. So there's this family sense of the church which also tells us that it's to be an atmosphere of mutual love and reverence and grace. And all those things we're called to do as Christians are, in a sense, to be at a heightened level in the body of Christ. If we don't get it right in our church, we won't get it right in other places. Let me back up even a little bit more. If we don't get things right in our families, in our family unit... We won't get things right anywhere else. Well, the same is true for the church. We need to make sure that we're getting things right in the church. Uh, If we can't manage to engage lovingly with people in the church, how are we ever going to engage the world with the love of the gospel? It's just not going to work. Now, I will say that I have said before, and I do believe this to an extent, the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ is thicker than the blood of families in some cases. That's especially true for people who don't have believers in their own families. You are their family. You are their close spiritual relation. I thought of this, that Jesus never, ever told anyone to leave the family of God. But he did tell people that there are occasions where you may need to leave your family flesh and blood family in order to gain the kingdom. That's sort of anecdotal, I understand, but I hope you get the point. We're bound together in the blood of Christ. We look to the same Savior. We're all washed in the blood of Jesus if we're true believers. I thought of a novel I once read where it was a romantic kind of wartime novel, and there was a couple that was separated, and The man ended up in a gulag and the woman ended up in some other area. And 
they vowed to each other that whenever the moon was out, they would both look at the moon so that they felt this sense of connectedness to one another, sort of this romantic thing. But in a more profound way, if we're Christians, we're all looking together to Christ. Together. And so there is this bond, should be this bond among us. We're all connected to one another by the shed blood of Jesus. I think you get the point, I don't want to belabor it, but the bond that we have should be very close and very tight. One of the elders prayed this morning before the service that people would hear the gospel this morning, and we do believe that people always need to hear the gospel in some way or another, and sometimes it's, it's a direct preaching of repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Other times it's less direct. I will say here in front of everyone that anyone here who testifies to being a Christian is a testimony of the power of the gospel, of the blood of Jesus. And so if you want to hear the gospel this morning, that thing that should draw you to Christ, here's evidence of the power of the gospel right here. If you don't know the gospel, you're looking at the results of it all around you. Back to our passage, Paul is directing Timothy in these tasks that he's supposed to do, and some of them are daunting. This daunting task has to do with navigating people. God's people are, by and large, a tremendous blessing to the leadership. But needless to say, there are times when it's more of a challenge. Just like any of you who are in the workplace, many of you have said, and I've heard it said by many, that if it weren't for the people, my job would be great. And so there are going to be challenges with working with people. So Timothy is instructed both in the positive aspect of nurturing and encouraging people in the church, but there are also times when he's going to have to be firm with them. And he's going to have to correct them. When I look at this passage overall, the word that jumps out to me, the one word that I would use is honor. Honor. We all need to listen to what the Apostle says here so that we learn more and more to be an honorable household of God, an honorable family where we honor one another. In this passage, our conduct towards one another sticks out. And we'll try to stick to what Paul says here without too many observations. And again, I want us to note how he covers the whole range of members. He talks about, and he puts Timothy sort of in the middle. He's still somewhat young, so there are a lot of older men and women in the church, and there are a number of younger men and women in the church. So there's this whole range of ages in the church. And it's so important for a church to work towards lessening or decreasing that generation gap that can sometimes happen in a body of Christ to connect with one another no matter what our ages are. Now, there's going to be some natural groups that form in any body. But at least to get to know one another, know who each other is, know what's going on in each other's lives. When when a young person is going through something, older folks should remember them and pray for them. When an older person is in the hospital, our younger people should be aware of those things or any number of things. But to to lessen that 
that generation gap that's so enforced and put upon the church by the world that's not really a biblical thing. And so this atmosphere of love and care and encouragement goes along all age groups. There's a pastor that I admire deeply. I won't say his name. I admire him deeply because he's such a good minister of the love of Christ. And he has an unusual ability to engage with every age group in a church. And someone asked me, why do you think, how do you think he's able to do that? And my simple answer was as simple as it could be. I think he has a genuine love for people. And that's such a great example to pastors like me, to elders, to deacons, but to all of us. We're going to look at these simple statements that Paul makes to Timothy on how to minister to these different groups in this atmosphere of love and encouragement and honoring. Now, I will say there's plenty on both sides. So when we look at these who are men, fathers, women, mothers, uh, young women, sisters, young men, brothers, that it is important for us to be those good fathers and those good mothers and those good sisters and brothers in the church. But the onus here is on those who are reaching out and caring for them. So let's take a look. Simple statements. First of all, older men. Older men. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. The strength here is in encouragement and edifying. And so when you see an older man in the church, that you you honor them and you encourage them. That's Timothy's big task, is encouraging the folks in their faith, the men in their faith. You think about that with fathers. and, And rightly, we tend to think that our fathers, our natural fathers, should encourage us to be a constant source of encouragement to us. And and that's what any child should expect. But how often do we turn it around and say, I want to really encourage my dad or my grandfather. I look back and I regret that I didn't spend a lot more time just encouraging my dad. I will say on the flip side for me, I received tremendous encouragement and edification from my own children and my grandchildren now. But I think you get the point, is that we need to spend more time building one another up, even the older people in our, I don't care if they're days older than you, months older than you, years older than you. Encourage them and build them up. Paul's careful to say to Timothy, do not rebuke them. And and he's saying, don't strongly rebuke them. And there may be times when older men, especially for the pastor or the elders, will have to correct or challenge older men in the congregation. But you never lose that sense of honor and respect and appreciation. In other words, Paul's saying you need to show restraint when you're dealing with the error of someone who's older. Sometimes it has to be strong, but it has to be done with great honor and respect. And so he wants Timothy to be prepared for that. And then younger men. Younger men. Older men. 
You have younger brothers in the Lord, in the church. How do you deal with them? Do you deal with the younger men as if they're your younger brothers? And older brothers, I don't mean, do you tease them? Do you bully them? Do you play tricks on them? Do you tell them they're annoying? That's not what this means. But older brothers should treat their younger brothers with love and kindness and edification in the very same way here, encouragement. Encouragement. Be what an older brother is supposed to be. Help them in their struggles in life, their struggles with faith, their walk. Help them to navigate life, to help them make wise decisions. Humbly, humbly share the wisdom that you've gained with your younger siblings. Men in the church do that with younger men. Older women. I'm sorry, I meant to mention, be an example, too, to the younger ones. Be an example to the younger ones by the way that you carry yourselves. Our men in our church, especially those of us in leadership, need to work towards being mentors and encouragers. If we have the opportunity, disciplers to the younger men in church where it's possible. Well, now older women, I'm not going to dare define what that means. What it basically means is anyone older than you. So take it where you want to, but, but we're to honor the older women as mothers. As mothers. And again, this is talking about the right sense, right? the way it's supposed to be. We all know how we're to honor our mothers. And so, so any of the women who are older than us in church are to be honored and cared for and loved as if they're our own mothers in a sense. It's more than just Mother's Day here. We honor all of our women. And so keep that in mind to care for them with honor and dignity. I'm sure Timothy, as soon as he read this from Paul, remembered that his own grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice are ones that were highly influential in his spiritual life and his faith growing up. And so we need to esteem the women in our church, the godly women in our church, that they have wisdom and insight and and appreciate that and tap into it. And then there's the younger women. Especially important for the men in the church. Especially important for younger men in the church. And I'm, I'm sure very important for someone like Timothy to remember that they're to look at the younger women as sisters. So men need to look at the women in the church, especially the younger one, not as objects, not as prospects first, unless you're single and they're single, maybe a prospect, but as sisters. With all the respect, love, dignity, care, protection, if you've ever had a little sister, you know what it's like You will guard them, you will protect them, you will care for them. You might try to understand them. It's hard to do. You might try to understand them. But you know what it's like to have a sister that you love and care for. And to approach them with all purity. And that's for obvious reasons, isn't it? Keep that sisterhead model in your mind. 
Keep that in your mind. Think of what's appropriate. Keep your thoughts appropriate. Maintain boundaries. Sad to say that when this is violated in churches, we often hear horrible reports of the way that things can go wrong. When men in the leadership and women in the leadership, I'm sorry, men in the leadership don't respect the younger women in the church and don't see them as sisters and things go horribly wrong, sometimes terrible ways. Well, so far, when it comes to older men and younger men and older women and younger women, there are not a lot of details given by Paul, but here's where it starts to get a little bit little bit confusing, maybe a little bit controversial, a little bit challenging, you might say, when he starts to specifically focus on widows. Our term for widow tends to be broad. Our term for widow tends to be any female who has lost their spouse. And that's not an inappropriate term. Right? We, we talk about our widows and widowers in our churches, those who have lost their spouses. And there's no problem with extending the bounds of grace when it's possible. But there is a thing that Timothy needs to deal with in the church. They're, they're, they're dealing with resources and they're dealing with elements of time and care and the things that the church should be doing and the things that the church shouldn't be doing when it comes to caring for those who are widows. So he uses the term, those who are truly widows. Those who are truly widows, genuine widows. That's nothing new in the Bible. The Old Testament is filled with the church needing to take care of their widows Stories of widows that God singled out on purpose. New Testament's true too, true religion. Part of true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. But there are qualifications that Timothy needs to uphold. And again, I I think the driving force here is that the family of God is to be that caring family. But there's a first family, especially if they're believers, that are to be taking care of their own widows first and foremost. Seen too many sad cases of elderly people, widows, abandoned and neglected. If you visit our nursing homes around here, there are many faithful people who visit their loved ones in nursing homes faithfully. But there are also many who never get visits. Some simply don't have family, maybe even alive or around here, but some have family who just don't visit them or care for them. And so it starts with the family. Paul makes that clear. It's the first responsibility. And I have seen amazing care, especially among God's people, but also among those who don't believe special, wonderful care for widows But they're still, in this context, need to be qualifiers. And there are things that we can learn. What are some of the qualifiers? Well, first of all, they have to be over 60. They have to be over 60. They have to have been faithfully married. They have to be alone. In other words, no next of kin there or interested in them. And they have to be devout to the Lord and part of the household of God. 
That's a priority for the churches to take care of the household of God. Verse 10 can strike us as kind of strong. For to this, I'm sorry, for verse 10 can seem kind of heavy duty and having a reputation for good works if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. And anyone who's a widow is saying, whoa, that's quite a list. But the idea here is that she's a part of the family of God. She's devoted herself to God and God's people. And she's proven herself that is in a way that shows that she's worthy of that kind of care and attention by the church itself. By the church itself. There are certain qualifiers so that they can get on the formal widow's list. It's an important thing to understand in the passage here. They were doing all they could to take care of the widows. Remember, that was, that was happening in the church. If you look back in Acts chapter 6, that was a big deal. The widows needed to be taken care of. And you had the Hebrew widows and then you had the Greek widows and there was disparity and they settled that in the church because they understood that all the widows mattered and needed to be taken care of. And so there are these qualifiers and there's this sense of care, but there are also disqualifiers. That might be equally as striking Because he does talk about what might happen to younger widows. Refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now understand this very, very clearly. Paul is by no stretch saying that widows should not remarry. In fact, we'll see that in just a moment. But he's saying that there's a temptation for young widows to be so concerned to have some stability and someone, especially if they have children to help them take care of the kids, that they're willing to marry outside of the faith. And in doing so, especially in that culture, but even in our culture, if you marry outside of the faith, first of all, you're directly disobeying what God says about being unequally yoked. But second, you're marrying, as it were, into another faith and embracing at least to some degree that faith. And Paul is saying that some have done that and have fallen in back into the grips of Satan, back into the grips of the devil. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying saying things they should not. And so he has younger widows marry and bear children and manage households. But notice what he says, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Who's the adversary? It's the devil. He's the slanderer. And if young widows are giving up their faith or living licentiously or becoming slanderers and busybodies, the devil's going to get a foothold. He always looks for gaps. I don't think it's a mistake at all that when Jesus tells the parable of the uh, 
persistent widow that her plea to the judge is against her adversary. It's the same word, but you, you take a parable and you understand it in bigger terms. You understand that the adversary that, that comes against us but comes against widows is, is the devil. And so younger widows have to be very careful with their passions so that they don't forsake the faith. They can get into all kinds of trouble. The, the devil loves to get a foothold. Loves to get a foothold. Well, that is not to say, and I think it's important using Scripture to understand, that when we do have younger widows, that we should be ready to help. And I think a reasonable understanding of Scripture would broaden the care of the church to single moms and the the challenges that they face and the temptations that they face. And so help us, let's get help to be aware of those things, of, of the women in our church, special sensitivity to young single moms and, and urge them to keep the faith and stay faithful in the major challenges that they have. Well, believe it or not, the second point, after all the points about the different groups of people, is that we're to understand a caring community. And don't worry, these will be short. Paul turns it around once again. He circles back, as it were, to to literal families, circling back around to blood kin. It's been said that charity begins at home. And so I'll simplify the point here. If a family has a widow in the family, it's first and foremost upon those blood relatives to take care of those widows and to take care of the family members. It's interesting to me that one of Jesus' last concerns, do you remember one of Jesus' last concerns? Had to do with his mother, his mother Mary. And as Jesus is just about to get on the cross, he commits his mother to the care of John. That's a very good mentality for family members to have, for the church to have. There's a stark warning here. It's very direct and it's hard to wiggle out of. Stark warning that if the family does not take care of their members, they're worse than an unbeliever. That's pretty heavy duty. We very often kind of take that to the extreme and talk about, about those negligent fathers, right, who are out of the picture. And that's certainly true. We talk about the irresponsible parents who don't take care of their children, but, but this, almost lessens, this almost lessens the responsibility. This is simply saying, if you don't take care of your loved ones, especially widows in your own family, there's a pretty good indication that your faith is either pretty lame or non-existent. Because Paul... And we could easily point to plenty of unbelievers, even pagans, who know better 
and who take good care of their parents when they're in need. And so the family first, but then the body of Christ. In the household, if we say charity begins at home, the church is also to be a household of charity. And the charity that we show to one another, older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and especially our widows, is to be overflowing in the body of Christ and evident to all. Because staying with Paul's theme about how the adversary likes to get his foot in gaps and in wedges, the same is true in the church as a whole. If we have gaps in our love, if we have gaps in our charity, in our mercy, in our kindness, in our honor among ourselves, our respect among ourselves, don't you think that the devil is looking to get a foothold in those very cracks and crevices? Do you see why the church as a whole needs to be under, under Jesus Christ? understanding the love of Christ and applying it to the church. You see, we're to be a solid household of God, with God as our Father, with Jesus Christ as that that older, perfect brother, with the Holy Spirit, who in one place is called the Spirit of Adoption, is at work in our midst, binding us together and sanctifying us and increasing our love not only for God, but for one another. May God grant us to be a household of God that's pleasing to our Father in heaven, that honors our older brother Jesus Christ, and that shows that the Holy Spirit is truly at work in our midst. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do thank you for the mercy that you've shown to us as individuals in Christ, but also to this body of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we would understand what you require of your church and that we would understand that you do provide that grace for us when we seek it. Help us to be that church that's pleasing in your sight. Help our love for you to abound and our love for one another to abound and our love for those who are not of the household of God to abound. But Lord, we do pray that where there may be gaps in our love for one another, where there may be division, where there may be cracks, that we would not let the devil get a foothold, but that we would seek to do your will, seeking your help always, that your grace might abound in this body of Christ.